All right, well, we are in Matthew chapter 2. You can turn there if you'd like. That would be great, Matthew 2. Starting a series in Matthew. And we're pushing through chapter 1 and 2 in these last week and this week in 613 so that we can be caught up to the morning services the first week of January where we will all be in Matthew chapter 3. And if you have not yet gotten tickets for the Christmas presentation yet, do that this week. Next Sunday night, if you're used to being here at 613, and you are, that would be a great time for you to bring every single person you've ever met at your work, in your neighborhood, and your family, and saying, hey, come on up to my church, and you can see the Christmas story, and it's a great tool that you can leverage to show the gospel and speak the gospel into people's lives next Sunday, and also Friday and Saturday, and the week after, too. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses, and then we'll talk about the whole chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let me pray for us, and then we'll talk about all of chapter 2. Father, we hear that phrase, Jesus born the king of the Jews, and we admit that it doesn't really uh, impact us the way it probably would have in that first century. That a king had been born, or Herod hearing that a new king was coming to town, we pray that you would help us to see the significance of one born king, that Jesus would be the king of our lives. And those of us maybe who don't believe that he even existed or believe that God is real or believe any of those things, that, that somehow we would meet the person of Jesus and be transformed. We pray that you wouldn't transform us through knowledge, but you'd transform us through that invitation to meet that child in the manger, meet the one who came to this earth, the one who beat death on our behalf, and let him become real to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it feels like there are a lot of people, maybe you're one of them, who feels like Christmas would be better if there were less Jesus in it. And you're probably thinking, well, that's not me. I want to keep Christ in Christmas, right? I'm all about Jesus. Or maybe you grew up as a kid thinking, you know what, I love Christmas, but why do we have to go to church? I love Christmas, but why is it that there's like two days in a year that my parents say we have to go to church? Christmas Eve and Easter, that was my story growing up. I thought, I get it, Jesus is the reason for the season and all that kind of stuff, but 
Christmas is about presents, right? Christmas is about family. Christmas is about nice things. And, and so Jesus is a good part of the season, but Jesus is not necessarily the reason for the season. To my eight-year-old, Jesus is not the reason for the season. And to my six-year-old and my four-year-old and my two-year-old, he doesn't really know anything because he's two. But Jesus is a significant event that comes later to us. It's interesting, when we exist in this culture, sometimes Christians get up in arms because they feel like other people are trying to keep Jesus out of Christmas. And when I was growing up, it was always this little, like, minor thing. Like, people would say, Happy Holidays, and the Christians all got mad about it, you know. So they say, Merry Christmas. It's Christmas time. It's not holiday time. You know, sometimes that is kind of ridiculous. We went to a a Christmas tree lot, and we cut down our Christmas tree. Not our holiday tree, but, like, our Christmas tree, and... And as we're leaving the Christmas tree lot, there's a picture of Santa, who's like the Christmas figure, right? And Santa's holding a sign at the Christmas tree lot that says, Happy Holidays. And I thought, if there's one place that's probably safe to say Merry Christmas, it's probably Santa at the Christmas tree lot. But even there, we think, okay, what is this deal? Why is it such a big deal that Jesus is a part of Christmas? Then this week I saw on the news that there are these five cities in the U.S. where these billboards are going up. Have you seen these billboards? I think we've got one, a billboard. Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales by the American Atheist National Convention. So five major cities putting up these uh, billboards around these church areas, these big, like, high-populated church areas, where they're saying, listen, we're not trying to make Christians not believe in Jesus, but we know, this is what they said, what we're trying to do is we know there are a lot of people who realize that there's no such thing as God, but there's no harm in going to church on Christmas. And we're trying to tell them it's okay to skip church on Christmas because who believes in Jesus anyway? I saw one that was a picture of Jesus and a picture of Santa on this billboard. And it said, less myth, more merry. Worship, or not worship, but uh, celebrate the real Christmas. Less Jesus in Christmas. And I started to realize there actually are people who don't think that Jesus belongs in Christmas. And yet in Scripture, we see that maybe the first person who tried to take Christ out of Christmas was King Herod, who wanted to kill Jesus right after Christmas. Herod is living in his little palace there in Jerusalem, and all these rumors start going around town that there is this Jesus who exists. He doesn't know his name yet. It says, these magi came to Jerusalem, and they were asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, if you're the king, you probably don't want to hear rumors about a person who was born king of the Jews, or king of anything, really. If you're like the king of France, I know that's not a real thing, but if you're the king of France and someone says, hey, a new king has been born down in Paris in this little slum, you're like, Who, what? Because as the king, you know that if someone's coming into your town and people are starting to gather around him and say, this is the new king, the new king has been born, the new king is going to rise to power, the new king is here, it's going to start causing some troubles in your kingdom. No king wants to hear about another king, even if it's a baby. So you kind of think about Herod and think, how insecure could this guy be? He felt like a baby was going to take his throne or something, you know. But a king knows that if anyone is threatening or rumors are coming where his kingdom is being threatened in its power, that that's something that needs to be squashed. And really, it's, it's really important to understand that King Herod didn't hate Jesus. He had never met him. 
He didn't know who Jesus was. We don't see Jesus' name here. He doesn't know the identity of this child. All King Herod knows is that there's a baby that people are claiming is the king of the Jews. And so King Herod hates not Jesus, but he hates the idea of Jesus. And I think that's important for us to know because sometimes Christians get all weird about atheists and atheism and the billboards like, how dare they? They hate Jesus. And atheists are like, I don't hate Jesus. He doesn't even exist, right? And we, I've heard someone say that there are two chief tenets of atheism. One, there is no God. And two, I hate him. We're like, ha stupid atheist. Like, you hate a God you don't even believe in. You guys are dumb, right? And, but any real atheist, if you talk to a real atheist, they would say, no, I don't hate God. I told you I don't believe in God. I hate the idea of God. I hate the idea of religion. I hate the idea that there are these people in this world who are gathering around this false mentality and it's causing strife in the world. I saw these billboards, these other uh, ads that were coming out. Uh, one was, have you heard of Ricky Gervais before? He wrote The Office, things like that. This is a Ricky Gervais quote. He says, I see that atheists are fighting and killing each other again over who doesn't believe in God the most. Oh no, wait, that never happens. He says, atheists aren't the people causing the problems in the world. Christians are the people causing the problems in the world. Religious people are people causing the problems in the world. Richie, Ricky Gervais doesn't hate Jesus. He hates the idea of Jesus. The, the new atheist would say, here's the big problem. Any rational human being would know that there's no such thing as God. You can't prove God exists. You can't show me that God exists. You can't win an argument, a logical argument, where you prove God to me, no matter how many weird christian movies come out that show a kid telling his teacher that God is real. And everyone's like, well, that's a movie. In real life, any rational person knows there's no such thing as God. He is not real, and you can't prove that he's real. And so when you start building these belief systems, this is not what I believe. You people look at me like I'm crazy. There's, when you build these belief systems around this fake God thing, and everyone starts fighting and warring and hating each other, and they're killing in the name of Jesus or Allah or whatever God you worship, there's something wrong with that. And so if you jump on uh, Wikipedia, I found this. They had an interview or a article that was written or something like that, where they were talking about the definition of atheism. Here's what they said was the kind of the chief concern of atheism. Here's a quote about atheism. Religion should not simply be tolerated, but should be countered, criticized, and exposed by rational argument wherever its influence arises. Because religion is a poisonous thing that kills societies and kills people. Uh, Kieran, is it Kieran Knightley, the quote that we had from Kieran Knightley? He says, it's absolutely extraordinary. If only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. You could just ask for forgiveness, and then you'd be forgiven. And she says, Christians can just kill somebody and say, oh God, forgive me, and boom, they're forgiven. She says, Christianity kills morality. You could be way more moral as an atheist because you're not going to be forgiven for molesting a child like Christians are. It says atheism is way better than Christianity. We've got to kill religion. The last quote, quote we had was from John Stewart. He says, religion, it's given people hope in a world torn apart by religion. And the world looks at religion and they look at the idea of Jesus and they say, what's the point? What's the reason that you would gather around this fake baby in a manger and claim that he's God? Because if Jesus is 
real, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as, as a God who became flesh. You can't prove that. Let's look at science. Let's look at reason. Let's look at rational argument. There's no such thing as God. So any kind of religion you make is going to be poisonous. Look at the history of the world. Look at how terrible pe- people have been in the name of Jesus, in the name of religion. And so people in our world who hate Jesus, they don't hate Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They hate the idea of Jesus. That's what Herod's going after here. He's saying, it's not that he hates this baby. He doesn't even know who the baby is yet. He hates the idea that there's someone in the world that folks are going to gather around and claim that he's the real king. Because if people start proclaiming that Jesus is the real king, it's going to push back the power of Herod. It's going to cause all of this strife and turmoil and fighting in society. So you've got to squash that stuff. And that's why the new atheistic movement would go and try to squash religion because they'd say religion only hurts the world. And really, it's kind of hard to blame them for saying that. You look, about, look at what Christians are doing in the world and you think, I can see how they'd say that religion's a bad thing. You look at the history of the world and the things that have been done in the name of religion, you can say, I can see how people would want to squash this thing. You kind of look at how people treat each other in the church and how people treat each other in the world, you think there's not a lot of difference sometimes. So if there's no such thing as God, you know, if you could start with that and say, you know, you can't prove there's a God. So if there's no such thing as God, then religion is just, it's just a bad thing that needs to be squashed. You kind of get it. That's where Herod's at. Squash Jesus. Herod decides he's going to kill Jesus. He's going to take him down. Anyone in his society that's going to claim to be king or that people would claim to be king, he's going to take that kid down. No matter if he's 32 or 2 years old, he's going to take him down. And so Herod kind of gathers the Jews that have been kind of also talking about, who is this king of the Jews? What's going on here? It says that the Jewish people in Jerusalem are kind of up in arms too. And Herod brings them in and says, okay, tell me about this Messiah character. Where do your people believe he's going to come from? And the religious leaders say, well, we believe that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem in in Judah. And so then Herod brings the Magi in. And he says, hey, you guys saw that you saw this star and it led you to here. And now you're looking for the king of the Jews. How long ago did you see that star? And they tell him the date. And it's like, okay. And then Herod hatches his plan. He says, you know what? Why don't you guys, why don't you go find him? Find the king of the Jews. Find this little baby who was born in Bethlehem. Find this child that people are claiming is going to save the world from their sin. Find this kid and you worship him and then you come back and you tell me because I want to worship Jesus too. Herod, we know, is not a good guy. He probably doesn't want to worship Jesus too. He wants to kill Jesus. But Herod hatches this plan to get the Magi to go find Jesus for him. And so they do. Magi leave the palace and the stars and the sky and they've been following it for some time and it leads them to this Bethlehem just where the Jewish people had said and and in Bethlehem it leads them to this home where they find this baby in a manger and they find Mary and Joseph and you've seen the nativity scene, you've seen it all before, right? And they show up at this place and it's so overwhelming to them that they fall down on their face and they worship this baby. They see this baby Jesus and they offer him these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and they offer him these gifts fit for a king and they're absolutely overwhelmed. And when you read this site about these magi, it just, it kind of brings the Christmas spirit back. Like you can imagine the warmth of this scene in this humble manger. It says they went on their way and the star they had seen, it rose and it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother married, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. I think a lot of times we get really concerned about people who don't believe in Jesus. And you feel like there's people in our world who are trying to destroy Christianity. And maybe it's true. There are people in our families, in our lives, who think that we're ridiculous. And, and we get this idea that if we can just explain to them that God is real and prove it, you know. Kind of show them the earth is 6,000 years old, you know. Or if we can prove to them that the Bible is true all the time. Or we can show them how if you look at the deepest part of a human cell, it makes a cross or something, right. If you could find a way to prove to them that God is real, that God is everywhere. And, and show them evolution's phony or whatever you're trying to do, right. If you could just prove to these people that God is real, they'll believe. How many times do, does that actually work? How many times do you get an argument with someone and you try to prove to them through science that God is real and they say, that's silly, you can't prove to me God. And you try again, you read some more books, right? You go back, you try again, you read some more books, you try again, you read some more books, you try again, you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight. And it feels like most of the time, sometimes maybe it worked for you, but never for me. Most of the time what happens is you just get angrier and angrier and angrier and more and more staunch in your beliefs and nobody gets anywhere. Have you noticed that? You think of this argument, you get, let's do a debate, Christians and atheists, and the Christians will win, and the whole world will be saved. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. It's a lot easier to refute an idea than refute a person. And that's what I love about these magi. They come to Jesus, and we're kind of nervous, like, oh, no, are they going to turn him into the authorities? What are they going to do? What if they don't believe in Jesus? Then they meet Jesus, and everything changes. I was watching uh, the show Modern Family this week. Do you guys watch that show? So Alex is kind of the nerdy kid, and and she's got this boyfriend, but her sister is convinced that the boyfriend doesn't exist. And so Alex's like, no, he exists. His name, what was his name? Alec or something? His name's Alec, right? They're like, oh, yeah, clever choice. Alec, like Alec. She's like, no, he's real. He's a real boyfriend. And so then the boyfriend comes over, and the parents are in the kitchen. Then the parents come out of the kitchen. The boyfriend leaves, and he dumps her. And they're like, where'd Alec go? They're like, oh, he just dumped me. Like, sure he did, right? And you're thinking, like, come on, just, just con- convene these people. And, and she's trying to convince the parents that Alec exists, and they're trying to convince her she's making the whole thing up. And they argue and argue and argue and argue. And the whole time you're watching, you're thinking, If these parents just meet Alec, they're not going to disbelieve anymore. Like you can argue with your parents all day long about if your boyfriend's real, but when they meet him, he's real, right? Parents are like, oh, my daughter doesn't have a boyfriend. She's so whatever. And then she catches you making out with a guy. It's like, oh, he does have a boyfriend. No, 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 it's just a stranger. We just, no, it's your boyfriend. You're making out, you know, or you got bigger problems. When you meet the person All the arguing can stop. And it's funny, I've never really met someone who's argued into Christianity, but I've met a ton of people who have said, you know what, I was a hardcore atheist. I didn't believe. I had all the reasons I wanted to argue, and then I met Jesus. How did you meet someone you didn't believe in? You know, we always meet people we don't believe in. I didn't believe you exist until I met you, right? (laughs) And maybe I didn't have like a really angry opinion about it. Like I was just kind of neutral on the matter, but if you told me, hey, Fred exists, I'm like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And then I meet Fred, and I'm like, well, I don't really believe in Fred. I believe he's right there. Anything that we think about these magi and what they're going to do when they meet Jesus, everything changes. When you meet Jesus, everything changes. It's so crazy, too, because 
If you don't believe in God, like some of you are atheists now. Some of you have been atheists before, right? And you're like, there's no such thing. You can't prove it to me. But then you meet Jesus. You're like, who proved it to you? You're like, no one proved it to me. I just met Jesus. How did that work? I don't know. I just met him and it's real. You say, well, explain that to someone else who's an atheist. Say, I can't. I just met Jesus. That's happened to people in this room. And we don't understand how it works. And yet when that happens to us, it changes the way that we engage with people who don't believe because we realize when we were in that state, no book you gave us would change our mind. No website you sent us to would change our mind. No young earth like documentary is going to change your mind. You think it's dumb. It's all propaganda, whatever, until you meet Jesus and it changes your mind. And just so we're clear, if you're not a Christian here, it's not like Jesus like shows up at your house and you meet him. That's what I'm talking about. You'll know it when you see it. I used to go fishing with my dad and the pole was out and the, the line was out and all that and there's bait in the water. I'm like, how am I going to know when a fish is on the hook? He's like, you'll know, you'll know, you'll know. I'm like, but how am I going to know? He says, you're going to know. You're just going to know when you know. I'm like, what does that even mean? I know, right? You might be sitting here tonight thinking, okay, how am I supposed to meet this Jesus? Is he somewhere? Does he have office hours? How do I find him? You know, do I read the Bible to like show up? He's going to show up. You're going to meet him and you'll know when you know he's real. Some of you have been in this room, this very room in a service just like this. And you've been singing and, and thinking, why am I singing? I don't believe this stuff. And then all of a sudden you believe this stuff. And you think, where did this come from? I know in my brain this isn't real, but now I know in my heart it is. And all of a sudden, you start to research stuff, and it looks different to you. Because it was really easy to beat Jesus up and fight Jesus when he was an idea. But after you met him, it's hard to claim that someone you've met has never existed. I don't see a lot of atheists coming like atheist and then agnostic and then Christian. I see people going like atheist and then believer. It's not like a spectrum, you know. It's just one day you meet him. If you believe there's no such thing as elephants, then you see one. Your, your mind has changed. You realize you were crazy before because there are elephants. And now you're, okay, that's weird. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> the Magi meet Jesus, and an angel shows up and says, listen, don't go back to Herod. Bad idea. So they sneak off on another route, and they go back home. And Herod realizes that he has been tricked. And he gets mad. People get mad when you trick them. And Herod decides, you know, I just got to end this whole Jesus rumor once and for all. And so Herod, you know, some people say that Jesus was two years old when the Magi came because Herod killed every child under the age of two. I don't think that's true. I think if I was King Herod and the wise men said, yeah, um, we saw this star like a couple of months ago. If I was Herod and I was evil, and I'm not that evil, I would say, you know what, kill every kid two years and under, right? Because you want to be safe. You want to hedge your bets. So Jesus was somewhere between zero and two. The Magi had told Herod that Jesus was a certain age, and the Jews had told Herod that Jesus was in Bethlehem. And so Herod said, guards, go into Bethlehem and find any child within reasonable doubt of being the king of the Jews and slaughter him, any male child. And so all these Roman soldiers come into Bethlehem and they slaughter all these innocent kids because Herod says Jesus needs to be killed. Jesus needs to die. Jesus needs to be off of the map. We cannot have the idea of a king. We can't give the people an idea they can start rumors like this. We need to teach the people a lesson that if they're ever going to claim that there's a king other than the king of the country, that they're going to be put to death. So kill their babies. And he kills all these little kids. And, and, and he's trying to kill Jesus. But before he does that, an angel shows up to Joseph and says, 
FYI, Herod's going to try to kill Jesus, so leave the country. Right? And some of the atheists in the room were like, well, that's pretty fair. How come he didn't warn all the other dads? I don't know why he didn't warn all the other dads. But he warns Joseph, get Jesus out of the country because Herod's going to kill every kid in Bethlehem. And so Joseph and Mary pick up Jesus. They, they run to Egypt and they go and hide. And they hide there and stay there until Herod's dead. And an angel shows up and says, okay, it's safe. Come on back. And they come back and there's this new king in town and they get scared that this new king's going to try to kill Jesus. And an angel says, okay, don't go back to Bethlehem. Go up to Nazareth. And so Jesus and his family goes up to Nazareth and they settle down in Nazareth. And sometimes we get scared that people are going to kill Jesus. You know, we see billboards like that and like, oh no, the end is coming. Oh no, the atheists are coming. You know, like, Oh no, the schools are going to kill our children. Oh no, modern rationalism. Oh no, new atheism. Oh no, Carl Sagan. Oh no, whatever, right? It's going to kill the church. It's going to kill Jesus. What we see in the story more than anything else is not just that Jesus transforms people when he meets them, but what we see is God's not going to let Jesus die. He's not. And Jesus himself said, he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell can't stop me. We see over and over again in the story, angels showing up and directing the path. So God sends the Magi to find Jesus, then Herod finds out, and, and then the, God sends the Magi to Jesus. And then an angel says, listen, get out of here quick, right? And so Herod's like, ooh, foiled again, right? And so then Herod's like, kill the babies. And an angel says, Joseph, get out of here. Then Herod kills the babies. He's like, oh no, foiled again. And then Herod dies. The angel says, come on back in. And like, there's this God that exists in the story who's superseding everything and not letting the person who wants to kill the idea of Jesus win. And the same thing is true today. There are going to be people in your life who are going to try to kill the idea of Jesus for you. There are going to be people in our society who hate the idea of religion. There are going to be people at your workplace who think you're ridiculous because you're a Christ follower. There are going to be people who you are convinced are trying to tell your kids or tell your friends or tell whoever there's no such thing as Jesus. And you can start getting nervous and thinking, oh no, what if these people win? What if they kill God? If God is not real and they kill the idea of religion, who cares? Like, I'm not really interested in following a religion if there's no God. Like, we're all wasting our lives if there's no God, right? If Jesus isn't real, we're a bunch of idiots, right? Doesn't Paul say that? He says if Christ was not raised, we're to be pitied above all men because we've devoted our lives to follow this person who never existed. So if they're right, good on them, right? Let them destroy Christianity. Let them destroy religion. Let them destroy the very idea of God because it poisons society, whatever, because it's not real. But if God is real, you can't kill him. He's God. If Jesus is real, what are you going to do? If Jesus truly raised from the dead and gives life, if Jesus, Jesus truly is sitting on his throne and breathing life into people, if Jesus is truly making dead things alive, if Jesus is truly coming back and he's going to reign on this earth forever, a billboard's not going to stop him. Like your teacher's not going to stop him. Your friend's not going to stop him, right? He's, he's real. And if you're on the fence, like, I don't know if he's real or not, that's a hard question, right? Because you can say, okay, everything I study makes me feel like he's not, but I feel like he is, right? You can trust the Bible, you can trust your friend, you can trust your pastor, you can trust whoever, you can trust your reason. You've got all these choices to make. But if you are sitting in the seat thinking, 
oh no, what if the world kills God? If God's real, he can't be killed. He's God. If Jesus is truly raised and raising people from the dead, he's going to build his church. And, and if this whole thing is a sham, then we deserve to close our doors and go home and stop trying to convert people to a myth. But if it's real, if it's real, the gates of hell itself can't stop the church. And if we believe the story, that's what the story says, that every time evil Herod tries to squash Jesus, angels say, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And I love that it just fulfills prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem, fulfilling a prophecy. And then Jesus is scurried down to Egypt, fulfilling a prophecy. Then Jesus comes up out of Egypt, fulfilling a prophecy. And then Jesus skirted over to Nazareth, fulfilling a prophecy. Like not only is God like playing defense, God's playing offense. He's saying, I'm going to use Herod and his crazy schemes to fulfill every single prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament. And so God is on the offensive when it looks like Jesus is on the defensive. So if you're living a life where it seems like Jesus is on the defensive, maybe he's not. Maybe the circumstances you're in where you feel like your faith's crumbling is actually an offensive tool that God is using to grow you to the place that he wants you next. Maybe God wants to use you in the future, and so he's positioning you in this place to go in a new direction. Maybe when you feel like you're playing defense, God's playing offense. And that's the beautiful thing about the Christmas story is that no matter what happens, not only is God defending Jesus, God is bringing in his kingdom to transform the world intentionally, even though people are trying to slaughter him along the way. Even at the end of the Gospels, when it seems like the world has finally succeeded in slaughtering Jesus, it fulfills the prophecies. It cancels sin. Jesus' death on the cross does everything for humankind. And then in power, he raises from the dead. And he wins. And it's not like he died and then he came back, like in the sense that he lost and then he won. He won and then he won. He won on the cross, then he won in the empty tomb, and then he walked to his throne, and he won and he reigned from time and time again until eternity. Jesus will reign and win and win and win. If Jesus is after you, he's going to win. Stop running, you know. Jesus wants you. He's real. I can't prove it to you. I can't convince you that Alec is really my best friend, right? I can't convince you that God created the world. I can't convince you that his breath of life is in all of us. I can't convince you that he scattered the stars. I can't convince you of the truths that we sang in this song about the God who spoke the stars into place. I can't convince you. I can't prove it. But he's real. And maybe you'll believe it when you meet him. Someday you'll meet him. And on that day you'll believe it. Is that someday going to be today? Or is that someday going to be after you die? When's it going to be? Because while you're here on this earth, you have a choice. Am I going to believe what I know is true in my heart, that God is real and he deserves my praise and he wants my life? Or am I going to believe what I'm convincing myself is true, that he's not real and this is silly and I'm going to be a fool and everyone's going to make fun of me? The choice is yours. But if God's coming after you, he's going to win, so let him. It's not bad to let God win. Because once God wins in your life, he starts working through your life to do great things in your life and in this world. Let's pray and let's close our year in 613 and then let's take communion and then let's sing and then let's go home.